Hey guys, it's Ashley and I'm back for another solo episode today. Um, so in this episode, I'm going to be talking a bit more about my self-discovery to my anxiety disorder and how I learned to thrive. All right, so welcome back. Um, we decided that we're going to keep the intros a little tighter on the solo episodes um, to give you a bit more time to listen to the juicy content that we have for you in these these shorter episodes. So um, today I'm just going to tell you a little bit more about some stories and fun updates and what's hot, of course, because that is a favorite of the intro segment. I'm recording a few weeks early so that I can go on this vacation, but I'm going home to Canada going home to Victoria. I haven't been home since December and I really, really, really be missing my family and friends. Um, Mike and I are going home to uh, attend slash be in a couple of weddings, three weddings actually. Um, so it's going to be really busy. There's going to be a lot of events to attend for the weddings, like before the weddings and then during the weddings, of course, the weddings themselves. Um, but it's going to be awesome. It's going to be really beautiful. All three of them are in three totally different, unique spots. And we are just excited to dress up and look good, have an awesome time with our friends and see everyone again because it's been so long. I mean, when we were back in December, it was snowing and it was sort of like a peak in COVID. So we really didn't see anyone. We saw maybe like three or four friends and then uh, hardly any family. So it's going to be amazing to see all our friends at these weddings. And of course, like outside of the weddings and then family too. I'm taking off the first week of September. Woo! And I hope to maybe go hiking uh, with my, my dad um, and just like chill at home. It's going to be the most beautiful weather on the island. And yeah, honestly, I think we're both really excited to just go get brunch. Um, brunch is really popular back home and it's so good. So you might've heard me not complain, but just comment on the fact that American breakfasts are not really the same as Canadian. Like in Canada, we, we do a breakfast. We do a mean, I should say we do a brunch. We do a mean brunch. It's like kind of European, but kind of British maybe like, you know, you could have like your pancakes with your maple syrup, real maple syrup. So you got your sweet. Then you might have your savory with your bacon or your eggs or like your grilled veggies or whatever. And you can do it all. And there's some places in Victoria that just, they have the most incredible flavors. Like I'm thinking of this place called Jam, which is like Southern inspired foods. There's like a more chill place called Floyd's, which is a laid back diner. I mean, everybody, everybody in Victoria, they know how to do it. That's where it's at. So I am so excited to go home, visit family, visit friends, go for hikes, chill, and eat some delicious Canadian brunch. Speaking of eating, uh, this week's What's Hot is my new all-time favorite. It's a quick grab-and-go lunch that I found the other day when I was hanging out with Katie at Whole Foods. So it's the spicy chicken quinoa bowl from Positive Food Company. 
And yeah, it's sold at Whole Foods just in the cold cooler grab and go section. It's so good. I I don't know. It's just really easy. Basically, it is like a grain bowl with a little bit of baby kale. Um, you get to like add your little veggies. They're separated so it's not soggy. They are uh, pickled onions and jalapenos and carrots, I think. So it sounds spicy, but it's not that spicy. Um, and then little diced up chickens pre-cut. They're pre-cooked. And then, of course, the green goddess dressing, which that makes the whole thing for me so delicious. It says it's 12.6 ounces. And to be honest, the macro profile was pretty good. Um, it is dairy-free, I think. Let me see if I can find the macro profile. Yeah. So... At least the container I'm looking at on the online link, which hopefully is the exact same one, says that it is 330 calories with 14 grams of fat, 47 grams of carbs, and 36 grams of protein. So for you people out there who are trying to up your protein intake, like myself, this is super good for you. Um, And of course, if you have that dairy problem like me, then this is a good go-to and it wasn't too expensive. I don't know if I would rate it awesome on the price, but that is Whole Foods. Um, But yeah, that's a great go-to and I am loving it this week. I am going to try to get as many of those as I can stuff in my fridge um, because I loved it. All right, so let's get into the episode. So this week, um, as I mentioned, I'm going to talk about anxiety. Now, Maybe you could make the case that anxiety has been done and done and done and we should not beat a dead horse. That is a terrible phrase, by the way. Um, But you know what? I think I was really inspired by Katie's episode uh, about her own mental health diagnoses and mental health journey. And I've just been kind of sitting in the background um, with my, my whole thing up on the shelf. And I too have quite the journey to mental wellness. So in this episode, I'm going to try to give you a definition of anxiety and talk a little bit more about how that pertains to my journey to self-diagnosis. And then I want to really focus on appreciating the ways in which my anxiety have shaped me and made me who I am. Um, Just to kind of take a better spin, you know, maybe not better, a more upbeat spin on, on anxiety. Um, And then tell you a little bit more about how I think I'm thriving with my anxiety. So hopefully this episode will be uplifting, uh, will be exploratory, will be interesting and enlightening for you to get to know me a little bit better. And maybe we can connect, you know, if you're a person with anxiety, which I'm sure many of you are, um, Maybe this one's for you, but also if you just know someone with anxiety or you're just curious, maybe you can see something that everyone thinks is so common from a new perspective and yeah, learn something new. All right, let's get into it. So what is anxiety? I mean, we, if, we, if we're saying we all have it, then it's what, just a natural response to negative stressors. I guess that's true. So from my therapy days, I was told and I've read on many self-help books and blogs and whatever, TikToks and Instagram 
videos that really anxiety is a normal response. It's your body trying to increase your um, adrenaline, epinephrine, your response to be able to protect itself. It's a normal elevation of increased awareness of basically positive panic to help protect and get yourself out of trouble. Now that might be physical, like fight, that might be, or even flight, fight or flight. You're physically trying to um, get away from a bad situation or a dangerous situation. Um, it may be a little less obvious than that. Maybe you're having anxiety um, about an upcoming deadline, for example, and it's your body's way of reminding yourself that procrastination or poor planning or bad prioritization is not the way to do it. And you need to have a little bit of oomph to get going and get started on that task. So anxiety is, yeah, normal. We all experience it. It's part of the the lived human experience. But what's not normal is anxiety disorders. So basically experiencing occasional anxiety in life is normal. But people who actually have a characteristic anxiety disorder tend to have more intense or excessive and persistent anxiety. So worry and fear about basic things. So you're you're kind of having a hyperdrive. Your light switch is being left on. It's like the car is always running, no matter if you're using it or not. That anxiety response is there and it's ready to ramp up. Um, often anxiety disorders involve repeated episodes of sudden feelings of intense fear, terror, and often they can escalate pretty quickly into things that obviously you might know this are called panic attacks. So that, that's kind of just like the Mayo Clinic definition. Um, Mayo Clinic also says that feelings of anxiety and panic interfere with your daily activities and are difficult to control. They're generally out of proportion to the true danger of the thing that you are having anxiety about, and they can last for, uh, again, a, a time that is out of proportion to the thing you're fearing. Um, people might avoid specific situations or specific events to try to reduce their anxiety. And these symptoms of anxiety may have been, you know, dysregulated and out of balance as early as early childhood and can continue all the way through life. So there are, I think there are six different types of anxiety, like social anxieties, phobias, uh, OCD. I'm not going to focus on all of those because the one I've been diagnosed with is GAD generalized anxiety disorder. I'm not sure that I totally agree with it. I think that truthfully, my anxiety is more OCD-like, a compulsion to have perfectionism, but needing specific types of reassurance and having some physical manifestations of repetitive behaviors. So I don't know if the definitions are totally accurate for the lived experience of a person with anxiety, but that's just me. So generalized anxiety disorder is defined as persistent and excessive anxiety and worry about activities or events 
ordinary or routine issues, and the worry, again, is out of proportion to the actual circumstance. Um, it can affect uh, how you feel physically. So as people say, like uh, sweaty, palms, racing heart, stomach issues, like these are physical symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder. And often what's, I think, most interesting is that it's like two sides to a coin. So anxiety on one side is almost always accompanied by some form, some shape or form of depression. So depression on the other side of the coin. And that's so true for me. Um, when I was growing up, I was either in a state of kind of frantic mania of creativity and excitedness and happiness and freedom and just if I wasn't in that state, I was just flipped completely the other way. Just angry, depressed, out of sorts, just like unable to connect with people. I mean, I, I think it was definitely the, the troubled child in the way that I, you know, couldn't always vocalize all of the emotions and stresses that were racing through my head. And at some point, it's just so exhausting that it just kind of shuts off the other way and then it leads to that depression. So I completely see my anxiety as two sides of a, the same coin. Um, anxiety on one side and depression on the other. Now, like a coin, or unlike a coin, I should say, um, it's, it's not an equal flip. Uh, I think I definitely have... Uh, an unbalanced coin that flips, you know, anxiety up more often than depression. So I told you guys a little bit about fight. Um, so basically it's your response to a particular stressor. So you're either going to run away, you're either going to put up your hands and you're going to fight that thing off. You're going to freeze or you're going to fawn. So I think what I want to talk about here are the freeze and the fawn, because those are the things that really I identify with um, and I think they're maybe less less commonly discussed when it comes to people's experience with anxiety. I think a lot of people they talk about like uh, flight or fight so like that elevated heart rate, the sweaty palms, the avoiding situations or the like having kind of an emotional outburst but what I think isn't really recognized a lot is this freeze or fawn. So when I talk about freeze, from my perspective, this is something I do all the time. A lot of people say to me, oh, you're so calm, um, especially with work. My work is genetic counseling. I'm giving bad news on a daily basis, and it's a very cerebral job. This is not me blowing my own horn to say, wow, I'm really, really smart, guys. It's just the fact that my work requires me to sit there and stare at a screen and try to solve some kind of complex problem. I have a lot of time for anxiety to creep in and I have a lot of emotions that I'm managing by dealing with terrible news every day that anxiety just loves to munch on. So something that, like I just said, that people often tell me about myself that I only just recently realized in say like the last four or five years was that I'm very calm. I look unusually calm on the outside. I'm talking calmly. Maybe I'm talking a bit slowly. And to some, it came across like very comforting and therapeutic in the counseling setting. And sometimes it comes maybe across as 
slightly disorienting, perhaps a little inauthentic. And I wondered why I was doing that. So I did a little bit of self-discovery work and realized that that's most likely my freeze response, which is my most common uh, daily response to a problem is probably to freeze and have an internal panic and do nothing. Don't get me wrong, I definitely have emotional outbursts and have more of a fight response where I'm like chatty, chatty, chatty and kind of freaky out and kind of try to attack the problem head on. Um, That's the perfectionism coming out for sure. Now, fawn is also one that I think got added to that list later on uh, and is also a little bit less talked about. So that one is interesting. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt like you were fawning but I certainly have. Uh, I'll tell you a little story. So at my previous job, I had a supervisor who was really intense. I may have talked about it on the podcast before, but basically it wasn't a good fit for me. Um, The supervisor was really aggressive in their coaching, um, really just pretty much a toxic situation and I just so desperately wanted to be accepted and praised for my hard work and I wanted to to have that person as a teammate rather than like you know someone to idolize and bow down to and be afraid of and so I think that what I did is I basically employed the fawn technique in my like coping strategy and that was to always try to be early um, to, you know, look presentable, to compliment that person on their appearance and to try to get to know them on a deeper level and to be overly uh, sensitive and caring and kind to that person in a way that kind of tried to bridge the gap and basically give the person all the things I wasn't getting from them to make myself feel better. And maybe to also try to dismantle their uh, defenses a little bit and, and make me feel a little stronger and more in control. So that one's a weird one. And I don't hear that one being discussed very much. It'd be, it'd be cool if you let me know in either the comments or on Instagram or anywhere. Um, if you are someone that experiences maybe one of these less commonly discussed anxiety responses because yeah I feel like I'm maybe floating in space a little bit not these ones aren't as common um interestingly enough uh in some of my previous training as a crisis responder to sexual assault we learned about how the freeze mechanism yeah the freeze mechanism is basically the lizard brain so they call it the lizard brain response which is like the more primitive part of your brain taking over. And it's like, this is all you need to do. You just need to freeze and not be anything. Freeze, camouflage on the rock, and be a lizard. So I think that's a funny example. I I thought I would throw that in there for you guys. So what would this episode be without a little touch of genetics? I could not not talk about genetics. Um, And I think it's interesting. So Mental health is very understudied in the genetics world. That is probably because most genetic testing and most clinical 
care in the genetics world is only available for things that have large genetic impacts. So we're talking about conditions where, say, one genetic mutation or change, we call them pathogenic variants now, but to keep it simple, mutation is enough to give someone the disorder. Um, So there are genetic conditions that require one genetic change, and that is enough to give a person a problem. There might be other conditions like uh, Marfan syndrome. So people who are very tall and have connective tissue weakness, they're at risk for aortic aneurysm or dissection, and they only need one genetic change to give them that disorder. Cystic fibrosis, the two changes, a person with um, congenital lung problems and increased risk for infections. These conditions are good examples of having a change in your DNA that is really the only thing needed to give you that illness. It's something you're born with. It's something that's passed on through the DNA. And there's not a huge amount of environmental factors that are going to sort of change if you get sick or not. It's very simplified again, but you get the gist. Now, when it comes to mental health conditions, the difference is that they kind of work, they, they work in a way that we call multifactorial inheritance. This means that there are both genetic factors and environmental factors that put someone at increased risk. So there might be small genetic changes, little things that on their own would really never give someone a problem. But if you had, say, three or four or five or 10 or a hundred little tiny genetic factors that all added up, you know, say 1%, 2% on their own. And over time were so great that they, they met some kind of threshold needed to have that illness, or they worked in conjunction with some kind of environmental stressors, like poor diet as a child that caused you to be underdeveloped in some way and have less ability to reason or maybe you have issues sleeping and so you're chronically tired or maybe your diet is just really poor in nutrients and so you're a little bit weak or fatigued and you don't have resilience. I mean there's so many environmental factors if we take those environmental factors and we count them up just like we would with the genetic factors and we add all those things together, those are all the multifactorial pieces that generally cause someone to present with a mental health condition. So when we're talking about genetic studies or genetic tests to see if someone has a reason for their anxiety, we don't really have a good test. We know that anxiety runs in families and we know that there are little genetic factors and little environmental things that the families all share. You know, families often live together and eat the same foods, have a similar sleep schedule, are exposed to similar toxins and issues in their life. It's very hard to sort of suss it all out. The reason I talk about this is because I am so passionate about the genetics of mental health And I think it's extremely understudied for all of these reasons that make it difficult. I hope 
that one day we will get to a place where we can offer people solid genetic counseling for mental health conditions beyond just giving this, this, this explanation about multifactorial inheritance. So stay tuned because that will come one day. Um, but yeah, mental health is genetic for sure, um, but not completely. Did you know one woman or a person who bleeds will go through 150 kilograms or 330 pounds of tampons, pads, and applicators in their lifetime? No, I did not. And did you know 90% of them are plastic? Dude, that's really gross. I feel like there should be a better period product on the market by now. Well, there is. Meet Dame. Dame is on a mission to make periods positive and sustainable, accessible and acceptable. Their award-winning effective period care is free from toxins and single-use plastic. In 2018, they launched with their reusable tampon applicator in an effort to reduce plastic waste. In 2020, they dropped reusable pads, which quickly sold out during their first release. And there's now a waitlist for new products dropping soon. That's awesome. And right now, Dame is offering our listeners a generous 25% off your first order. Whether you're in the market for a sustainable period product or you're in need of a clean and consistent tampon brand, Dame has what you need. Now shipping to the U.S. in over 200 countries. Dame is confident you'll love your new products. They even have a 60-day refund policy. Try Dame today at weardame.co and use code COCONUT25. That's weardame.co and use code COCOANUT25 at checkout. Now back to the episode. There are some generalized risk factors that might you know, increased risk. Like I said, there's a bunch of environmental things. A few more examples might be kind of your personality. If you're already a shy person or you get distressed, really nervous, um, distressed or really nervous easily, uh, especially in childhood situations that are repeating uh, exposures to stressful or negative life events. These can kind of be like your environmental triggers. Um, there are some other things like other health conditions like, say, thyroid problems or heart problems that can be the more physical triggers to having some kind of anxiety disorder. And then, of course, other environmental things like caffeine or substances and medications can also be those triggers. So just some good things to keep in mind. And that's from the NIMH uh, website. All right, so I want to talk to you guys now about my self-discovery journey to having anxiety. For me, I did not think I had a problem as a child, to be honest. It was maybe not until I was like 22, 23 that I thought, "Mm, something's not quite right. I know they say that that's when anxiety disorders present, but now looking back, for sure I had anxiety as a kid. So I always called myself like a high-functioning, anxious person. I didn't think I had an anxiety disorder. I just thought I was anxious and I was really high functioning. I could manage it from day to day. It made me do better in my classes. And whenever I wanted to like achieve something really difficult, I could just put my nose down and just panic about it, which for the most part produced quite a lot of effective work. Um, I was, yeah, like I said, usually able to control it. There was a lot of internal coping mechanisms, like 
talking myself off a ledge. Um, lots of unhealthy ones too, like drinking alcohol excessively and alone. Skin picking, definitely one that has been unhealthy and is definitely a huge coping mechanism. Um, so yeah, I called myself high-functioning and I think where I fell on that was perfectionism. So most of my concerns were that I was never good enough or that I was letting someone down, um, which is really hard. It's, it's not so much like constantly worry I'm forgetting something or that I won't be able to do something or that I'm being judged or like any of the kind of average experiences that I read online. It was more like I was going to let everyone down. I was not going to be good enough that I would literally harm someone because I hadn't done something well enough. So that was quite the weight to carry. Um, and I think I had big worries. Like I said, even as a child, I remember being as young as age three and thinking, what happens when we die? And what's on the other side of this universe? Are we just living in a shoebox with little holes punched in it that are the stars? I mean, those are pretty big concerns and big thoughts for a three-year-old. So from a young age, these kinds of thoughts kept me up at night. I had an inability to sleep. I was probably chronically tired and my mom loves to joke that I'm short because I did not sleep enough. And she might be right. Honestly, maybe anxiety made me short. So all in all, I'm an external processor because I'm always looking for that reassurance. It's just kind of how the brain works. I've gotten better over the years being able to internally process, being able to know who to trust and who to not process with. And when time, you know, when the timing is right and pick that better. Um, I am always distracted and zoning out. It's something I still struggle with, even when I'm medicated and doing so much better. Anxiety will creep in and I get this, Mike calls it the thousand yard stare. I'm just zoning out. I'm really what I'm doing is trying to talk myself down. I can feel an anxious thought creeping in like a dark cloud that's about to sort of start a thunderstorm in my brain. And I'm just trying to push it away. Unfortunately, with anxiety, one of the things that's really difficult is being overwhelmed by simple tasks and being indecisive. I don't know if I've met anyone who's more indecisive. And it's so weird. It's in the, it, it's in everything, but it's really bad in certain things like picking clothes and shoes and deciding if I've made a good choice. So that one I still struggle with, for sure. I wonder if this one's more popular. Being able to engage and respond and just kind of being overwhelmed and overcharged with social situations. A lot of friends of mine wonder why I don't get back to them with texts, with details, phone calls, whatever. It's usually because I'm pretty much fried 
my brain with with overstimulation and being anxious throughout the day, maybe from work or a buildup of just not getting a break over a certain period of time. And it usually creeps into my social sides of things. So I don't know if that's something you've experienced, but definitely in this day and age where getting back to people like right away with text or like on Instagram or TikToks, or whatever it's really instantaneous and people pretty much expect you to respond immediately I feel like an email is now expected to be responded to immediately but maybe that's just where I'm living right now in the U.S. where it is go 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 and people expect that kind of communication it's hard for me I think it's hard for a lot of people um, but I think it's especially hard for people with anxiety where they may just be tired they may be just functioning at a higher voltage all day long. It's not like I'm doing more or I'm smarter. I just feel like the brain is running hot all the time. Like there's not enough oil or coolant in the the brain to keep it the right temperature. It's always running a bit hot. And I feel like those things that I cherish and love are kind of the first to go um, when it comes to the days that I'm overwhelmed. All right. That's enough of the doom and gloom. I hope that there's something in there, though, that you can relate to. Um, Again, like I said, so many people have anxiety, and I want you to know that it, it doesn't necessarily define you, but if it does, that's cool, too, because there are so many good things about people with anxiety, and I'm going to tell you what is kick-ass about me first. So I think that because of my anxiety, I am way the hell more emotionally mature than a lot of my colleagues, a lot of my friends and my family. I am not trying to put anyone down. I just feel like I said that my brain is always on hyperdrive and I am constantly thinking about all of the sides of a social (laughs) interaction. I feel like it forced me to be more emotionally mature. How could it not? You know, I am emotionally tougher because of it too. You know, if your brain is always working, you have got to be able to withstand that back and forth and that drama, that internal drama. There is always a movie running 24-7 in there. And if you can even function while that thing is on, kudos to you. Um, So yeah, I think I'm more emotionally mature. I'm a little more emotionally tough. I'm resilient. I have got to be resilient because you can't function if you're worried about literally everything in your daily life. You've got to be able, um, and I have developed strategies, which I'll tell you about after this, um, to deal with that high heart rate, that those racing thoughts, those sweaty palms, that stomach ache, that constant panic. People with anxiety are freaking resilient because they've got to be. The battle is inside their own head. You know, that's, I think that's one of the biggest triumphs uh, for people managing anxiety. So yeah, I am and you too with anxiety are probably able to relate better to people with anxiety and maybe even people without anxiety because you've given a lot of time and energy to thinking about how your thoughts work and how your feelings work and identifying better words to describe how you're feeling. You have worked to expand your emotional vocabulary to understand what the heck's going on in your own brain. And I think there's it's obvious that you would be more emotionally empathetic, stable, and resilient. 
And I think all of this, honestly, I don't know if I would change. I don't know if I would start from square one and wish to never have anxiety because it, it led me into healthcare. It gave me an upper hand in getting into this, this program, this field and doing well with the counseling side of things. And it's kind of what makes me good at this kind of cerebral job that I told you I have. I have to think all day long, which is exhausting, but the brain is a tough muscle and it's already always thinking. So might as well use it. Um, and I think that it's good too, that I've given myself practice and taken the time to learn self-calming techniques, um, which are helpful in a job that basically patients are coming to me at their worst and they're super stressed out. So I've learned ways to calm myself and I've also been able to learn ways to calm others. So that's a huge plus. I think I'm also probably better to pay attention to little details. And that's not always true because honestly, sometimes I'm so overwhelmed by my anxiety that I can't see the details. So maybe that's like hit or miss. Um, But I know I'm able to achieve at a very high level because of that perfectionism which is exhausting, but I'm thankful for because it's got me to where I am and I'm very happy for that. Um, And I'm also more into fitness and wellness because it's like a must to be able to survive. I want to tell you in the closing part of this episode about ways I think people with anxiety are not just coping and how they cope, but how they're actually thriving and, and why. I think that the ways that I've been managing my anxiety, there's kind of like this, the truth and the dream. So that's kind of how I see it. Like I flip flop and I fluctuate between how I am truly managing my anxiety and what the dream, the goal of like what all the therapists say and what everyone tells you to do. And I'm in the middle, I guess. But I think a lot of people are in the middle and I think we're thriving in the middle. Um, so for me, the dream would really be to be working out every day, to be eating a balanced, healthy, nutritious, and a well-proportioned meal at the right time of day, um, to have a clean and tidy home to reduce the clutter that causes stress in my brain and reduce that manifestation in my outside world, to avoid alcohol and caffeine so that the heart rate doesn't drop and spike and fly all over the place Um, and so that my sleeps are deep and solid every night and on a schedule. It'd be great if I had good self-care and then I had regular talk therapy and then I had complete control of positive thoughts. But that is complete and utter bullshit and you know it and that is not what anyone is doing. It is totally okay to be medicated You know, I heard on my favorite podcast, which is my favorite murder, that if you don't make enough, store-bought is fine. Yeah. If you don't make enough serotonin, store-bought is fine. And that's how it is for a lot of us. I take medication on a daily basis. It's not very much. The doctor has said it's probably literally a placebo amount. Now, do I believe that? No, because clearly it's helping. But it's not very much. 
The other thing that is critical for me, if I had to pick two things to truly managing my anxiety, um, rather than dreaming about my, managing my anxiety, it'd be the medication and a good sleep. Honestly, good sleep may trump medication. So those are kind of my two need, need to haves. You know, I have mixed feelings about medication as well because I lasted a long time, pretty much all my life until I was like 30 uh, without medication. And I was doing well. But like I said, this part is about thriving. I was not thriving. I was, I was bobbing with my, my nose just above the waterline. Um, and that's, like I said, how I developed all those techniques and those great things about myself. And that's probably what you're doing too or what you've done. But thriving is the next level. If you can take some of that effort away and put your energy into something else, then you can thrive. So other things that help me, to be honest with you, uh, walking, it's so easy. I mean, I think that there's there's like a TikTok out there that I just saw um, from one of my favorite neuroscientists. And he's talking about how rapid eye movement, which is that deep therapy that helps to um, sort of resensitize after a trauma. It's very, a very similar thing is happening when you're walking. So when you're walking, you're looking around and your eyes are catching peripheral pictures and your eyes are moving rapidly from side to side and taking it in. And as you're walking and calming down, it's helping your brain to reprogram and not have a reaction to whatever negative, um, anxious stimulus you had at that time. So that's really cool. So walking is a, is a huge sort of secondary thing. It's, it's not my number two, not my number one, but it is really high up there. Massage. Mike and I literally give each other massages like three times a week. It's such a must. It's so calming. It's literally a back massage when we're watching TV and it does wonders for connecting as a couple, but also reducing anxiety or alleviating depression. The gym is good. Um, it's really good. Uh, it definitely helps to relieve anxiety or to help get me out of a depression kind of funk. But I would say I, I really only use the gym to relieve anxiety occasionally, because to be honest, if I'm in a heightened state of anxiety, the gym actually kind of makes it worse. It's like the heart rate is high and the gym makes it higher. So you're not alone if that's the same for you. And if you want to be a fit person, focus on other forms of movement and use weightlifting or high intensity workouts sparingly when you're not in an anxious state like I do. Talking it out. That's a huge one. I am a big talker, hence why I'm on a podcast and I'm an external processor still. And talking it out really does help, but choose who you talk to and talk it out with wisely. Not everyone is as emotionally resilient as you and not everyone is able to help you cope. So find those people in your life that you can truly trust and try not to dump all your emotional baggage on them. Try to utilize more than one of these techniques. All right, guys. So like I said, how are people with anxiety thriving? I've told you a bit about me. Now I'm thinking of other people that really inspire me. Um, some are family and friends, and some are just 
famous people with mental health problems, but I think something that everyone has that I can kind of relate to um, is that all of these people are extremely creative. They have an intense ability to think outside the box and think outside the average, average expectation or experience. So these people are so... I don't know. They just have this fantastic way of thinking about problems and they're super creative, either artistically creative or just like creative with their problem solving skills. They, yeah, they have amazing troubleshooting skills because that's just literally something they have to deal with on a daily basis and they have an awesome ability to bounce back. So I think that people with anxiety like that's probably one really cool thing that makes them thrive. Like I said before, another thing is that people with anxiety are emotionally intelligent, probably above the average Joe. And that doesn't just benefit themselves, but it really can benefit others. So I think people with anxiety often get into fields like myself where counseling or emotional intelligence is valued and helps other people. So if you're a person that is emotionally intelligent and you're trying to figure out what to do with yourself and you're working to manage your anxiety and you're at a place where you're choosing how to spend your time, consider using that super underappreciated and underrecognized talent that you probably have. And I think also number three, so one, two, three, my three big points. I think the third is that people with anxiety are extremely hardworking um, although we zone out a lot, although we stress a lot, although we might have fight, flight, freeze, our fawn responses that are not conducive to success in the moment, we are very successful people because we are very hardworking. Mental work is hard work and we are so used to it. So people with anxiety thrive in a lot of ways. I think you should go out there. You should live your anxious truth and manage it in whatever way is best for you. It might not be the traditional way. So I've told you a lot about myself and I've told you a lot about what works for me and what makes my anxiety tick. And I tried, I tried to kind of shine a light on why people with anxiety are so amazing and resilient and how you can thrive with your anxiety and not just keep your head above the waterline. I think if you're a person with anxiety and that's where you're at, I want you to take this as your call to action to work on going from surviving to thriving. It's not something to stress about. It's just something to think about. Are you surviving your anxiety because if you are that's incredible and you should be very proud of yourself but now it's time to refocus and see if you can thrive look at the things that are amazing about you and what anxiety has given you and reframe and reshift and start the next chapter I'm so excited for you and I'm so happy you guys tuned into this extremely personal episode about my journey to anxiety discovery um I hope it was helpful. I hope it was comforting and I hope it was engaging and I'm super happy you're here. All right, guys, we will see you next week, probably with a duo or guest episode. And I am excited.
excited to be back with Katie next week. We are also dropping some cool information coming this fall about some plans coming up. Um, like we said before, some rebranding, some reshifting going on. So stay tuned to get excited for that. And as always, if you like this episode, please review, subscribe. It really helps. And we appreciate it too, because it says that what we're telling you over the, the void of talking alone in your own home <laughs> is landing and is heartfelt um, and appreciated. It helps us feel like you care and it helps us know what else you want to hear about. So a review would be super appreciated. Um, Thanks guys so much for listening and we will see you in the next one. Bye.